Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Jordan Smith, a senior reporter for The Intercept. Welcome to Descent, an intercepted miniseries about the Supreme Court. There's this organization called the Alliance Defending Freedom, or ADF for short. They're a Christian right advocacy group working across the country to create legislation and case law to deny services to LGBTQ people and criminalize consensual sexual activity between adults. And they've landed a big case at the Supreme Court. The ADF is representing Lori Smith, a graphic designer from Colorado who claims the state is preventing her from developing wedding websites because of, wait for it, an anti-discrimination law. To make their case, the ADF and Smith have developed a series of slick videos with epic music and drone shots over Colorado landmarks. As a Christian artist, I was really excited to step into the wedding industry and use my artistic talents except there's a Colorado law that prevents me from continuing with my work and forces me to violate my beliefs and speak messages that I don't agree with. I love working with everyone. For me, it's never about the person that I'm working with. It's always about the message that I'm being asked to promote. What I'm asking the Supreme Court to weigh in on and to protect this fall is the right for all of us to be able to speak freely whether your beliefs are the same as mine or different. The case before the Supreme Court, 303 Creative LLC versus Alanis, is on its face, at least according to the ADF and Smith, about free speech. But my guest today argues that it's not about that at all. There is no like legal limit to the idea of free speech, but there are places to carry free speech. And part of what I think goes back to our founders' understanding of the reality of slavery and the 13th Amendment, is that the marketplace is not the appropriate place for that. Because once we compromise access to the market, we are really cutting under this kind of way of being in the world. That's Hila Karen. She is the Associate Dean for Research and a professor of law at Southwestern Law School in Los Angeles. She writes about the marketplace and the relationship between law and human emotions. And she argues that this case is really about weaponizing the marketplace under the guise of free speech and religious freedom, and that there's been no limitation placed on Smith's speech. Gila joins me now to break down the case. Gila, welcome to Dissent. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. So to start, we need to do just a couple things. First, would you lay out briefly the facts of this case, 303 Creative versus Alanis, including the Colorado law that's being challenged? 
So in this case, uh, a lady named Lori Smith owns a business which she runs with a company called 303 Creative, which gives the name of the case. What uh, she's interested in is uh, exemption from anti-discrimination laws on behalf of her free speech and religious uh, liberty, although the religious liberty part of it was put on hold by the Supreme Court because it only invited her to hear her free speech claims. And so the law in Colorado says that once you run a business and you are open to the public, what the law calls public accommodation, then you have to serve everyone. You cannot uh, discriminate against groups. In Colorado, like in many other states around the country, one reason you cannot discriminate against is sexual orientation. And it's named specifically in the legislation. It was democratically added as a category that is protected uh, in the state of Colorado, but in numerous other uh, states. And despite this very explicit legislation, the business here insists on a right to discriminate. How would they have a right to discriminate? The argument is that a right to discriminate will or should arise, never existed before, but should arise from the right to free speech. That business wants to start doing uh, weddings. There, are, It's a business that um, designs websites and wants to embark on designing websites for wedding purposes. And in doing that, they really want to highlight a line that they will do this only for heterosexual uh, couples, but not for same-sex couples. Now, the business importantly did not do it yet, and so they rushed to sue Colorado before Colorado did anything. And they claim that Colorado is going to be punitive, going to prosecute them, and therefore they are doing something called pre-enforcement litigation, taking a preemptive uh, step to say, you can't sue me if I ever will start doing weddings. So on behalf of the free speech, uh, theoretically wanting to say, I will not serve, uh, same-sex couples in the context of creating wedding websites for them. But that's not all. On behalf of the same claim, I also want to be free to put a sign out there. And I'm imagining the sign to be digital at this point because it designs websites and has a website. But to declare basically same-sex couples are not wanted for the wedding services that we are going to one day uh, provide. This uh, case went through the system in Colorado and lost, but um, purposely was taken to the Supreme Court. And that's an interesting point. The Supreme Court picked it up because the Supreme Court does not have to discuss that. And that question, some of us thought was already decided in the past, but the court, the Supreme Court limited the debate to the question of free speech. So, and the whole litigation, it's a lot of effort, is part of a legal battles around the entire country. So it's not just Colorado. It's not just this uh, business. And the point is to argue we should be exempt from anti-discrimination laws 
and uh, in their language, not to be compelled to speak. And I'm saying in their language because some of us may struggle to see where is the compelled speech in this scenario. That was a nice opening summary because we're going to get to every piece of that. At least I hope we will. But I guess we should back up just a bit here to talk about that previous case, Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission. Can you tell us a little bit about that case and how it gets us to 303 Creative? And I guess we've already hinted at this, but critically, sort of what's different um, about this case versus Masterpiece Cake Shop? This is another incorporated company business, commercial. Uh, this time has also a storefront that sells uh, cakes and other baked goods, similar to the owner of the uh, website uh, designer, uh, refuses to serve same-sex, refused, I should say, to uh, serve same-sex couples. There is a huge difference, though, between the cases, and this is that this baker for real refused to serve real people. Their name is David and Charlie, and they were literally refused, very harmed. Their photographs were all over the media. Uh, their mother, one of the mothers was with them. So there was a big humane story, which I find crucial to our understanding of what's going on right now, because at least people could have viewed both sides of this debate and the party that is getting harmed by those discrimination was there to to speak, to have a photograph, to have some sympathy and to have their story appear during the litigation. In Masterpiece, the court really recognized the problem of stigmatizing uh, the LGBTQ community and creating some undermining of the recognition of the right to marry for same-sex couples that was achieved in Obergefell in 2015, so several years prior. And the court really said that gay persons and gay couples are social outcasts and with that sympathy said that they can, were marked for such a long time as inferior and re, in dignity and in worth. So part of the analysis of the court that existed in Masterpiece was, no, you can't do this because this is a certain compromise of an actually big compromise of the dignity and self-worth of not only the couple that you hurt, Mr. Baker, David and Charlie, but the court talked about community-based stigma, stigma that will be created if we're going to allow businesses to simply rule out categories and say they're not uh, wanted there. So the court decided not to decide in an interesting way. Because of that reasoning, the court emphasized we're not going to allow businesses to discriminate and be released from requirements of Colorado to not discriminate and exempt them from any law. However, the court really reprimanded Colorado's Committee of Civil Rights for not treating the baker and his sincere beliefs with more respect. 
So respect was sort of the skeleton of this decision. And the court said, in this case, we're not going to protect the committee, but not because we're giving a wide exemption, but because you had to treat better the baker. In what sense did they not treat better the baker? In, in, in the sense that several people talking on the committee opined that this is the sincere religious beliefs are pretext to discrimination. It got the interpretation at the Supreme Court as possible disbelief of the religious claim, and that was isolated as inappropriate in this particular case. Why is it important to this litigation that we are now talking about? Because there were real facts. There was a record of a meeting. There was a citation from a person on the committee that opined about the baker. And there were David and Charlie. And we can kind of try to do what we always do in law, balance between the human being at play. And because we're trying to balance between the human beings in play, there was this kind of fine line in Masterpiece where, while you have to respect the community of LGBTQ people and we're not exempting you, but you have to also award respect to the baker uh, in that sense. So the court was trying to balance rights and to see the whole picture on a rich factual pattern that is totally and harmfully missing in the situation that we are right now talking about in the case of 303 Creative. Yeah, I wonder if also maybe that sort of critical to kind of understanding what's going on here is to understanding what public accommodations law is. Can you sort of explain broadly sort of the contours of what we're talking about when we're talking about public accommodations and 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 about protected classes, people that, that we're trying to protect from discrimination? I mean, just sort of broadly or however you'd like to talk about it. We start from slavery historically and from the 13th Amendment and the realization that it's not enough to release people from their status as slaves, but rather crucial to their uh, equality and uh, joining society in it on different terms is their participation in the market. So the 13th Amendment is talking directly about the marketplace and demanding equal rights in the ability to make contracts. And I think that this is what at stake here, because in order to purchase a good, anything I need, the cake for masterpiece, and in order to actually get the service of website design from the provider in 303 Creative, we need to contract, right? I need to ability to make a contract. And when someone is saying, I am not going to make a contract with you because of who you are, not because you don't have money, not because you entered my store with no t-shirt on, but because there's something about who you are that I object that that was forbidden from the beginning with roots going back to slavery. With time and during the 60s, the principle was enlarged into a lot of subordinated groups, not only people who were slaves, must be treated equally in the marketplace if we have any serious claim that this society is equal. Otherwise, if some people can make contracts and some people cannot make contracts, some people can buy houses, but others cannot buy houses, then how are we going to just uh, run uh, this society. And public accommodation laws is really circling the demands of equality around businesses 
open to the public. So if you're saying I am open to serve everyone, then you must actually serve everyone. Now, states created their own version for that, and states differ in what they re- call public accommodation and many name, for example, specifically online businesses. So many states moved with time and added online businesses to that list because imagine, and after COVID, I cannot imagine that, but imagine (laughs) that Amazon would not serve a group in the population that matters, even though they are not literally physically open to the public. So there is a variety uh, between states regarding what counts as public accommodation. But what matters to our case, and I want to point it out now, is that there was agreement between the parties that was stipulated and they could not argue about it, although the judges tried to argue, but that this business, the website design business, is public accommodations. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was My next question was that, yes, she stipulated this 303 Creative, my website design business, is a public accommodation. Yeah. Now, to go to the protected groups, that with time also was updated and there is variety around the country. So some states only say you can discriminate based on race and sex and religion, for example. But And some say you can't... Uh, discriminate based on gender identity, sexual orientation. We have the same principle in the different norm regarding disability. We have a long and increasingly long kind of a list. In few states, the the most recent addition is political affiliation. Yeah. So let's come back to this whole thing about the stipulation because Lori Smith, the owner of 303 Creative, we said, has stipulated that her website business is a public accommodation. So theoretically, shingles out there for all comers. Well, if she is saying, yes, I am a public accommodation, what is she asking for? She is asking for a right to discriminate despite the law. She doesn't call it discriminate, but a right to refuse to serve same-sex couples if they will come, and it's an if because that never happened, but if they will come and ask her to design a website for them. And during the hearing at a Supreme Court, it was interesting because it, there were a lot of questions going at, but what if it will be exactly the same website? What if it is Harry and Steve and Harry and Megan and Harry and Steve are now getting married and they come and they say, well, we want exactly the same website you created for Harry and Megan. Would you serve them? And the claim is not, I cannot be compelled to give my expressive powers in designing websites in the, to something that I disagree with. So literally, this is a request for exemptions from anti-discrimination laws on behalf of free speech for religious uh, reasons against same-sex couples right now. Why one might stipulate to being a public accommodation, and maybe it has to do with the opening this door wide. I want people to understand how this is not really 
hair personal individual dispute. Rather, what's going on here is a really big legal campaign around the country carried out with very high budget, lots of legal talents, a lot of investment, and led by a, the largest conservative advocacy group called the Alliance Defending Freedom, or sometimes we call them the ADF. The Alliance Defending Freedom in this particular kind of a battle, they're not defending anyone, they are actually attacking. They have developed this legal strategy that is pretty sophisticated in which they went around the country and deliberately around the country in a variety of states, eight states so far, Arizona, Kentucky, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio, Colorado, Virginia, and New York. So they spread the battle and picked people who are doing something somewhat expressive in the wedding industry, some of them photographers, some of them uh, producers of videos, some of them florists, baker we mentioned, and variety of those, and took states that are a combination of difficult states for them to win, like Colorado, and easier states for them to win, more conservative states like uh, Kentucky and Arizona. But deliberately, why did they go also to the states that are difficult for them, not because they like the challenge, but because they were hoping to get the issue to the Supreme Court. How do you get issues to the Supreme Court? You create or you hope for, but here they proactively created this agreement between circuits. So it all started in eight different uh, states and got to four different circuits. The sixth, the eighth, the tenth, and the second. And this created a disagreement between the circuits. So, for example, in the case of Colorado, the tenth circuit said, no, you cannot discriminate. But the uh, eighth circuit, in the case coming from Minnesota, said, yes, you can discriminate on behalf of free speech, at least in a temporary uh, injunction that they have uh, awarded. So that actually helped the Supreme Court to pick the case. But the strategy here is wider. And this goes back to why conceding that it's public accommodation. Because the whole point is to allow as many businesses as possible and not as few businesses as possible to actually make those statements. And because the purpose here is to use the marketplace as a platform to put signs out, same-sex couples are not legitimate in some versions, and therefore I so object to their realness of their wedding and marriage that I object to serve them. And so the broader it is, the more successful this political conservative battle is. is. So for that purpose, it's really important to broaden it and to include public accommodation. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, 
and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. That kind of brings us a little bit to some of the arguments, which throughout them, there were a lot of hypotheticals, uh, some rather cringy, and analogies, some of which were quite odd. And frankly, a lot of them, I think, missed the mark by not implicating a protected class, for example, or even a public accommodation, <laughs> like Kristen Wagoner, the lawyer representing 303 Creative, bringing up the musical Hamilton, <laughs> and how unless you vindicate her client's rights here, that somehow Lin-Manuel Miranda wouldn't have been able to cast his show the way he did. The $10, found a father without a father, got a lot farther Okay. Miranda isn't a public accommodation, and I don't get how his casting would be an issue even if he was, so there's that. And then there was also Justice Samuel Alito's incredibly cringy Black Santa and Kids in KKK robes hypothetical, which I think that if people have heard anything about the oral arguments in this case, that might be the thing that they heard about. Let's listen to a bit of that. Justice Jackson's example of the, the Santa in the mall who uh, doesn't want his picture taken with black children. So if there's a, a black Santa at the other end of the mall and he doesn't want uh, to have his picture taken with a, a child who's dressed up in a Ku Klux Klan uh, outfit, that, that black Santa has to do that? No, because Ku Klux Klan outfits are not protected characteristics under public accommodation laws. Can you talk about why these hypotheticals and analogies just fail and how they obscure what's really at stake in this case? This question alone covers almost everything that is wrong with this uh, case. The judges on both sides, liberals and conservatives, had to use hypotheticals because they didn't have a case. If you have a real case, you can talk about the facts, but there were no facts. And during this hearing, the oral hearing arguments, there were like repeatedly references to the lack of facts. It was a Astonishing. Well, you should understand what your statute means. So if, suppose a website designer says, um, I'm, I'm offering my services, but um, uh, I'm really in, uh, I, I'm in uh, a lot of demand for my services, and uh, I reserve the right to decide who I will provide a website for and who I will not. Is it a public accommodation then? If that's the only factor, then uh, – Yes, but it can make decisions about who to supply that, that aren't based on protected characteristic and choose its clientele just fine. What it can't do is say, uh, I reserve the right to refuse service, which means in practice I will not serve black people. And isn't the pro- part of the problem here in terms of trying to answer Justice Alito's various hypotheticals that were presented with a record of stipulated facts and that the uh, opposing the, uh, your friend on the other side actually stipulated to the application of the statute. So it's really hard for us to know and figure out and determine in this context 
how the statute would actually apply because we don't really have a real record on that on that score. That's correct. The fact that there were no facts invited those hypothetical, made them necessary because the the justices on both sides were trying to figure out what exactly are the limits of what you're saying here. Can we do this? Can we do that? And they came up with a lot. So that's one uh, point. The second point that I'm so happy you uh, emphasized the role of Justice Alito in that, because a lot of the Hamilton, Santa Claus, and all that, uh, all those examples really come from a line that he and their lawyer for the ADF, Ms. Wagoner, were trying to lead, which is a very problematic line that I want to pull out from the hypotheticals, because the hypotheticals are so confusing that actually you lose sight of what's at stake. And so what they were struggling with is the uh, comparison of rejecting same-sex couples to rejecting African-American people and interracial couples. So each time the word race in any variation came up in the oral uh, arguments, there was a jump uh, on the side of either the ADF or the main justice was Justice Alito carrying that to interrupt that, to not let it happen. So when Justice Sotomayor started to say, well, on that premise, you're free to hold your opinions, you can also discriminate against disabled people because maybe you believe that they shouldn't actually create a family and and interracial couples. Tell me why it's not protected speech. The identical message that... um, that, Justice Barrett put forth, but by a disabled couple. And you say, I don't want disabled people to get married. I think propagating a disability is against my personal belief. It doesn't have to be religious, because we're not dealing with the religious part of this. I don't want to speak that message. I, too, believe that two disabled people getting married and telling their story of how they got in love, I'm not going to serve those people because I don't believe that they should be married. What's the difference between that and I don't believe black people and white people should get married? Because it didn't um, really disappear from the discussion, they brought a second line of argument. And the second line of argument was about... Obergefell, the recognition of same-sex couples, and saying, remember that in Obergefell, when Justice Kennedy uh, acknowledged and recognized same-sex couples, he said that uh, some honorable people actually think that this is not really appropriate kind of a marriage. And they re- just repeated during the oral arguments, and when I say they, it's Ms. Wagoner and Justice Alito, the premise of honorable people, honorable people that are not like the racists. So there was a really big theme there. Is refusing same-sex couples similar to refusing uh, people because of race? And they were leading a line of, no, that's not the same. You cannot be honorable racist, but you can be honorable religious person who disagrees with same-sex marriage. 
However, one thing that is being left out is that there is no way to cabin that. Remember that we explained that the Supreme Court took the claim of free speech and not the claim of religious liberty? So because it's free speech, free speech protects racists and sexists and bigots and everyone. So if someone has, because of their free speech, a right to discriminate, then of course that will be the decision that if it is in in conflict with your free uh, speech, you can avoid anti-discrimination laws, then the next move is to just say, well, part of me thinks that... uh, People based on race are inappropriate, and therefore I will um, do the same. Justice Jackson also reminded people, and that was a great reminder on her part, great interjection, that a lot of people resisting interracial couples or intermingling of the races were basing it on religion. I mean, there is no limit what segments of religion can create in terms of uh, objections, objections to women, to women's rights, to what they can wear, to what they can do. Historically, opposition to interracial marriages and to integration in many instances was on religious grounds. So I don't know that we can say that just because um, we have a religious objection to uh, same-sex marriage in this situation, that wouldn't necessarily implicate religious objections to other kinds of situations. This is really unlimited. So really part of the harm here is this case is really unlimited in its uh, scope. This oral arguments phase was really exposing a lot of that a lot of inappropriate moments, not only in the hypotheticals, by the way, throughout the entire argument, there were really hostile references to same-sex marriage. And it's hard to reconcile this with the view to this is honorable view. While I understand the religious argument here, uh, you don't have to call a marriage of someone else false. And the word false was used again and again during the litigation. The word bad marriage was mentioned. The the justices talked about things we loathe, including this marriage, things that are offensive to one's belief. So there was so much of this hostility. At a certain point, Justice Gorsuch talked about how the baker from Masterpiece was sent to re-education program. They are defining their service by excluding someone based on their... That's their religious belief. Well, in Colorado, you can't change their religious belief, right? No, but... but well, to, and you protect religious beliefs under the statute, right? That is one of the protected characteristics yes. in theory. And in practice. If it wasn't in practice, we had heard about it over, over the past several years, and, and my friend has pointed to no example where... This has been applied. Mr. Phillips did go through a re-education training program pursuant to Colorado law, did he not, Mr. Olson? He went through a a process that ensured he was familiar with... It was a re-education program, right? It was not a re-education program. What do you call it? It was a process to make sure he was familiar with Colorado law. Someone might be excused for calling that a re-education program. I strongly disagree, Justice Gorsuch. Thank you, Mr. Olson. To me, the hypotheticals and those uh, expressions of hostility are really part of what was so awful and went off track in this litigation. And it all happens 
because there was there were no facts. There was no other side. There was nothing to tell here. And therefore, it went all over the place to places that, to me, are inappropriate. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to ask you, basically, which of the hypotheticals stood out for you as actually capturing the core issue and this, the absolute certain fallout that would flow from a decision in 303 Creative's favor? You know, the surprising part is that I think Justice Barrett was at a certain point trying to help uh, Ms. Wagoner but by introducing a story about interfaith couple. But, you know, but to me, it only said more about how uh, unrestrained and limitless it is once you start doing all those things. Or there was a story that was part of the how inappropriate it was about uh, a couple that met in the workplace and they were having an affair while being married to other people. A heterosexual couple comes to her and in the engagement story part writes a story that goes like this. We met at work. We were both married to other people. But what began as late nights at the office quickly turned into love. After six months, we realized we could be happy only with each other. So we decided to begin our story today, got divorced, and are marrying each other. Does she publish it? I don't believe that she would. I want to say, actually, that from the variety of hypotheticals, people should get scared because, you know, it can target almost anyone of us, because again, we have zero control on the free speech of people and free speech is just unlimited. So if someone want to say, well, if you were married to another person, now when you're getting married with another one, all of us with chapter B in their life should be worried and who knows who's next. So I think that once you start going downhill with human dignity, that's where you land. And, and if you will allow me, I want to say that they repeatedly talked about how this view of being against same-sex um, weddings is honorable and it's honorable because Justice Kennedy promised them that. But Justice Kennedy never promised to allow people to discriminate. Justice Kennedy wrote masterpiece and said, no, you cannot discriminate. I understand that you are against it, and I believe you, and your religious belief is sincere, Mr. Baker, but that doesn't mean that you can discriminate. So no one promised honorable people that they are allowed uh, to discriminate. But what is really mind-boggling is how one-sided is this game of honor and dignity, because while they were emphasizing how honorable is the standpoint of resisting same-sex couples, and also at one point they said, uh, Ms. Wagner said, no one has to be compelled to express a message that violates their uh, core convictions because it's demeaning to them, meaning it's humiliating that Colorado dares requiring Equality, that was, by the way, a response to Hamilton because she really got carried away with that. But <laughs> the, the, if, if you think about it, no one can demean the business owner, but the business owner can totally humiliate the customers, right? right. Only you strategize the litigation in a way that no one can actually tell a story of how humiliated they felt. I think the lost in Masterpiece or the way Masterpiece said, no, you cannot discriminate, is because there was a voice there of 
really real people who got so offended and crushed by the refusal. What do you mean our wedding is false, right? And, you know, there was also a lot of talk about, well, I guess trying to somehow cabin this in a way by talking about sort of a who versus a what. So, you know, at one point, Justice Neil Gorsuch is like, well, Smith would refuse this wedding website to heterosexual people too. So it's really not the who is asking, but the what they're asking for. And this struck me as odd (laughs) on a couple levels. I mean, Smith does not want to provide wedding websites for same-sex weddings. And I mean, heterosexuals don't generally have same-sex weddings. So the what, the same-sex wedding, is inextricably linked to the who in this scenario, right? Can you explain that a little bit or talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so so this is one of those destructions, I think, of, you know, why are you doing this? And and the, the, the adjacent to that is the argument, but she serves the LGBTQ community only when they get married. She disagrees with them. And as Obergefell itself said, and they rely on it in, in their argument, but it also says if without the ability to get married and celebrate the marriage like anyone else, you really don't have the full personhood, right? So right. it's really, I don't think you can separate the what and the who in that uh, particular situation. I have to say that if the same Lori Smith went to the public square and wanted to carry signs against uh, same-sex couples, I would be with her protecting her free speech. So I do think that people do have rights to opinions that are difficult for us to hear. I would not be on the same side of the campaign with her, but we both should have access to the public square. The problem here is the platform they chose to use. This insistence, not only we disagree with same-sex marriage, but we take the battle to the marketplace. And we're trying to create via the marketplace, uh, this uh, segregated marketplace that will convey the larger resistance to same-sex couples. And so it's not that Colorado chases businesses. It's that those businesses chose to enter the wedding industry to make the point that actually is a political point. We never agreed with the right to get married. And now that it exists after Obergefell, we're going to resist it in many ways. And this is our most creative one in which we're going to use cakes and flowers to make a political point. You know, I was really sort of worried after the oral argument. I think part of it does have to do with how bonkers a lot of the hypotheticals were. And and of course, it naturally all relates back to the problem of not having a story on the ground, just sort of this hypothetical that Lori Smith wants to build these websites. She just doesn't want to do them for you, you know, um, as you said. But by the end of the argument, I was just sort of like, oh, no, where is this going? And I fear that it's kind of going towards what you're suggesting that that we're going to the wheels are about to come off the bus here. I mean, and then it also strikes me that, of course, yeah, they didn't have to take this case, right? They they kind of grabbed it. There's probably nothing uplifting to say about all this, but I'm just curious kind of what your takeaway was. I mean, the harms are very clear and I'm very worried. And I don't know that I there's a reason for me not to be worried, if that makes sense. I'm kind of curious what your final sort of takeaway was. I share your sentiment. That's how I ended um, 
after listening carefully to the oral arguments, thinking it's going in the wrong way. And the reason it's going in the wrong way is structural. I think the Supreme Court has six uh, conservative justices. They were never happy about the recognition of same-sex weddings and marriage. And so now they are undermining it. I mean, in the debate about abortion, if you recall, when we were all taken a very, very fundamental right uh, that we thought we had for 50 years, there was a question, what's, what's next? We, whose rights are next? And some people were saying, oh, no, they're not going to touch uh, same-sex marriage. But this is a serious way of touching and uh, injuring same-sex marriage, right? Because you can recognize the marriage but undermine everything else around that. And then you really mark uh, second-class uh, citizens here. And then when the list is open of who is second-class citizen, then we can add to the list more and more people. So, so this is dreadful, and it comes from the structure of the uh, Supreme Court. I think that's a, another significant difference between the times of Masterpiece Cake Shop and uh, 303 Creative. What changed is also who, not only uh, the litigation, but also who's on the Supreme Court. And you could hear it. I mean, it's like they joined at it from the perspective of religious liberty and from the perspective of disliking strongly the state. Like you could hear it in Justice Gorsuch reactions, like what about Colorado compelling? And that's like a mixture of several conservative agendas. Like now the state is not allowed to enforce anti-discrimination laws. So we are going to before the 60s. This is undoing the entire system of civil rights. And with no civil rights in the market, no civil rights in the workplace, no civil rights in housing, no civil rights in the public accommodations, where are we headed is really a severe question. The only sliver of possible hope I can try to work on, and this is what I am working on, is to say, you know what? This is not only between states and their citizens. This is also between us as human beings. The problem is interpersonal. Although they are hiding it, they were trying to hide it. And we have a legal system that covers the relationship between person to person. And so to me, my project is to take a look at those laws. For example, contract law. If I'm trying to make a contract with you and I have the money and I respect your business and your rules and I merely entered your store and ordered something you sell to everyone else and I can pay cash or credit, whatever you want, does contract law allow you to say, no, I will not contract with you? Another big one is tort law. In our tort law, we are actually banning people from intentionally inflicting emotional pains on others. So if someone is to reject in a very humiliating way a client, so David and Charlie with the mom get into the store only to be turned around for who they are, that's a lot of pain to go back home to with. And so isn't it intentional, intentional infliction of emotional distress? So 
I don't know. This is kind of uh, against the grain of our habit to say political questions are going to be determined under constitutional law and our total property law and contract law are going to deal with money and the people who have money. But I do think that when interpersonal problems are happening, those laws should offer remedy, even if we lose the battle on anti-discrimination laws. You know what? I will take that sliver of hope in the law and end there. (laughs) (laughs) Hila, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It was a fascinating conversation. That was Hila Karen, Associate Dean for Research and a Professor of Law at Southwestern Law School in Los Angeles. This episode was produced by Lara Flynn and Jose Olivares. Roger Hodge is Editor-in-Chief of The Intercept. And Rick Kwan mixed our show. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com slash join. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. If you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. Until next time, I'm Jordan Smith.